I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is April 10th. 1967, we are honoring the films of 1966 at the 39th Annual Academy Awards, hosted once again by our MC of choice, Bob Hope. Uh, it has been a really exciting evening. Um, we have uh, a couple of movies nominated for a bunch of awards, and we're excited to see which one we're going to hand Best Picture to. So I think it's time. The envelope, please. And the winner is... A man for all seasons. <laughs> a man for all seasons. Oh, I forgot to mention we are still in Santa Monica at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. I just I felt that you needed to know that. This is kind of an interesting fact that I heard about, read about this ceremony. It was also almost canceled due to a writer's strike. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, not a writer's strike. Um, a strike from the union that puts on the show, um, mm. which. I was curious, is this the only other strike that almost closed a show other than the writer's strike, which happened in the mid-2000s? I'm curious. I, well, I know that there there was another big writer's strike in the 80s, um, but I don't know if it had any sort of effect on the Academy Awards. That'll be interesting maybe to see as we as we go on but this is definitely the probably the first time that that has happened yeah i would imagine so and it was interesting because they only resolved the issue three hours before the show began talk about coming down to the wire i mean how did they had time to write any material for the show (laughs) that's what i was thinking actually i was like how did they like i'm sure stars were already probably arriving if not there maybe like you know walking a red carpet of sorts i don't know to me it's just really funny that it came that close to closing but the ceremony still went on seemingly without a hit and there was probably a rehearsal you know the day before you know like i mean they usually go through these things before they actually do it. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so that is that is really interesting, huh? Um, so this is nineteen sixty-seven, honoring the films of nineteen sixty-six. Um, once again, we are seeing a lot of uh, transition in Hollywood um, in the type of films that are being nominated and winning awards, um, and things are getting a little bit more adult as the 60s goes on you might say oh yeah um and uh also this is a year where once again as with many of the awards award winners in the 1960s we love our brits we love the brits (laughs) um well you know why i feel like the reason we do love the brits so much in the 60s is because they were actually making movies that were pushing the boundaries of yes. you know, film content before the U.S. kind of was allowed to, which actually brings me into one of my spotlights. Oh, go for it. Okay, I was going to talk about the movie Alfie a little bit, notably because it was Michael Caine's first nomination. He goes on to win two Oscars uh, for supporting actor, but this was his first um, ever and for leading actor. And it's a really great 
kind of character study on just the everyday English common man. And it's also great because it really puts his, you know, now famous Cockney accent uh, to really good use. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. My name is... Alfie. Alfie. But what I really want to talk about is that this is the first movie that receives the quote-unquote suggested for mature audiences from the MPAA. And I thought that was really interesting. And you can see why it does have a very risque subject matter that is pushing the boundaries. Um, but it's also really similar in style and form to Tom Jones, which we saw win Best Picture just a few years ago. Um, the, Alfie, played by Michael Caine, he frequently breaks the fourth wall. He talks directly into camera, uh, treats the audience as another character in the film. And the subject matter, he's a, a man who has frequent, uh, no-strings-attached sex with a lot of women throughout the movie. He even refers to women as it and birds, like, hardly ever calling them girls or women. Um, they're basically just objects to him. And the really uh, interesting thing here is this movie tackles directly the subject of abortion. Um, you know, in um, in films made in the United States, you really can't even say that word in movies uh, right now, but they tackle it head on. I mean, there's a character in the beginning who talks about having an abortion. She doesn't. And then in the end, there is a character who has an abortion. Um, so, yeah, it was really kind of fearless in... Uh, tackling that kind of subject matter. Uh, but yeah, so even more than Tom Jones, I think this movie continues to even push that production code even further. Uh, and as you said, we're about to see that totally break down next year. So the Academy is starting to embrace these movies. While not American films or um, British films, um, it is embracing those films that are pushing those boundaries. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean... Um... It is important to note here, uh, this movie was not released by, um, released or made by Americans. And considering that while it's about to totally be blown up, you know, the code is te technically still around, you know, yeah. at this point in time. Um, it, Alfie is something that probably could not have gotten approved um, by Hollywood censors, but ends up getting uh released in the u.s with just a simple warning label um, which is about to become how we handle uh classifying films in general as the mpaa rating system is um is very soon is very soon upon us absolutely and it just goes to show too that uh with the success of this film and um another film with very risque subject matter who's afraid of virginia wolf it just shows that American audiences want to see these movies and they don't care anymore that they swear or talk about sex or abortion. They just don't care. It's not shocking anymore, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, so much is changing in the culture as well, which has to do with that. Um, and it's, I mean, let's be honest. Let's, let's be clear here. Um, this stuff didn't cease to exist from the 30s to the 60s like <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely but like the censorship you know, of it the censorship yes is going away and yeah the it's censorship a huge of, step 
we're just being uh the world is becoming more realistic in film and that is uh really interesting to see and i think you're i think you're right alfie uh nominated for both actor and picture um does a very uh it's like a uh an example of how this is happening yeah um even more so than a movie that as much so as a movie that we'll be spending a lot of time talking about um a little bit later what is he talking about i don't know it's a question mark <laughs> there's also a question mark in the title we'll get to it stop it martha i wouldn't go on with this if i were you oh you wouldn't would you will you not you've already sprung a leak about you know what 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 um <laughs> and what are some films that you want to spotlight um well uh, i i I want to spotlight a couple of interesting little notes, first of all. Oh, please do. discuss them. Uh, first of all, they're the two movies that we'll end up spending the most time talking about, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and A Man for All Seasons, are the only two that were nominated for Best Director, which is really, mm. really interesting. That the, is interesting. only time that ever happened. Um, so, uh, you know, just completely, completely different picture and director categories um or one of the only times we've we've talked a lot about that picture director crossover but it's it's just so interesting when they don't line up you know or they don't line up very closely because you think of the direction of the movie being the reason that the movie is great you know right um anyway uh and maybe that's just uh us buying into the auteur theory you know Maybe it's it's just us uh, believing that the director is the most important person on the movie, and maybe it's more complicated than that. But whatever the case, only two directors of Best Picture nominees were apparently worthy of nomination this year. True, and that's you know to a further point uh, to point out as well that you know the Best Picture award really is Best Production, which is awarded to the producers. And, you know, there are often times where the producers of a movie and the director of a film differ drastically on what they want the outcome of the movie to be. And I think here you're really seeing that, you know, they're they're specifically honoring directors for their craft and then producers for their craft. Well, I mean, this could go back to uh, a couple of years ago when we were talking about how the West was won, which is this huge mammoth production that certainly is impressive in scope and in um, ambition and Mm -hmm. in production value. But uh, you certainly, it's actually directed by more than one person. And you certainly wouldn't say it's the snappiest clapping along film you've ever seen in your life, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, But you could say, like, if we're just talking about the overall, like, impressive production, maybe that's what earns the nomination. So that's... Uh, that's an interesting point that you make. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, we have some other interesting things that happen um, this year. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they include the fact that we have uh, sisters nominated for Best Actress this year. Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> uh, and the Redgraves actually have a really good year, might I say. Um, because uh we'll i'll mention vanessa redgrave and uh, their brother who i didn't know about until yesterday um (laughs) later (laughs) on uh but uh vanessa and lynn redgrave um 
are both nominated for Best Actress. This is only the second time this has ever happened. 25 years prior, Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine were both nominated for Best Actress. You can go back to our episode and, and learn our feeling on that. You sure um, can. <laughs> <laughs> um, Patricia Neal uh, made her uh, first public appearance um, since uh, having a stroke at this oh. Oscars. Yes, yes, yes. And she, she got a standing ovation um, from the uh, from the audience. She presented Best Foreign Language Film. And uh, she, uh, of course, would go on to get another Academy Award nomination post-stroke. And she ended up living a pretty long and full life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some interesting pairings. Speaking, I like talking about who presents awards, you know? Yes. We have some interesting pairings of people uh this year and some uh, of course there's always really big names you know who end up presenting these awards but um for instance uh mary tyler moore and dick van dyke present the music awards so we got a reunion of those guys from uh who were on the dick van dyke show together that's Um, fun isn't that fun um and then uh you know i can't wait till next year 1967 um, because we'll get to talk about um, we'll get to talk about her and one of my favorite performances of hers uh, a lot. But Audrey Hepburn presents Best Picture uh, this year, um, and I I just love talking about who who um, presents it because now that we have that in our opening theme, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, it it feels like it's 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 very pertinent. But the I feel coolest like... thing, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like now you should do that opening bit as an interpretation of whoever presents it at the actual Oscars. So you need to do it as Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to have to. Um, uh, and the, I how what's the thing that I have to um, uh, I have to I have to think of an Audrey Hepburn quote. You know, right. I have to think it. Think the of something rain that she said in Spain falls me. No, <laughs> I mean, but that's her doing a character. Like that's not Definitely. the pairing I wanted to talk about. That I think is just so wonderful is we get a reunion for the writing awards. It's presented by Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, mm-hmm. and there is a clip online that you can watch. I highly recommend doing it. Where um, they're introduced, they come out. Um, from opposite sides of the stage and they have like a little little tiny a few steps to go down as part of the stage decoration and then fred impromptu um takes takes her spins her around and they do they do a quick little dance step together completely on the fly you can tell that she didn't realize he was going to do that but she goes right in step with him Oh wow! And and then they and it's it's just like five five or six seconds, but it's like such a rush of like oh my gosh, it's Fred and Ginger, uh, and and the audience goes you know absolutely crazy. Sure. Um. Anyway, and it's the it's in this is actually in color as we established last year was the first year to broadcast in color, so that's something really fun that you should go check out online. Um. Uh, and so those are spotlights from the actual ceremony. Um, of course, this is an interesting year for, um, is this the first time that we have a representative in every category from, no, it's not. 
No, it's my not. man got my my man Godfrey was the first one in 1936. Correct, and but then this is one of the, Streetcar is another. It's Streetcar, yes, Streetcar, and then we have oh, this. and also Sunset Boulevard, I believe, had. and Sunset Boulevard. You're right. Yes. Um, so this is not remotely the first time, but um, <laughs> forget that I forget that I said that. But it is but, the uh, whole cast because there are only four cast members in the that's movie. That's what I was going to say. Thank yeah, you. Thank that, you. I was looking for the yes. factoid. The entire cast is nominated. Right. I got you. Oscars. I got you. Yeah, I that's what I meant, Sam. <laughs> right, right, right. Um and both of the ladies in this case come to, come home uh with awards um and uh certainly um it's so interesting like I don't know what to talk I I feel like I want to save talking about who is afraid of Virginia Woolf because I, yeah, I feel yeah. like I want to talk about no. that with with picture but but certainly um two heavy hitter actress winners here so yes okay so before we get into that there's a couple well there's just one snub that i would like to talk about um Mm -hmm. i'm probably the only person who will call this a snub but this is the year that the movie the ghost and mr chicken came out starring don knotts (laughs) in what i think i think this is truly it's my favorite don knotts performance but this is just a wonderful movie and he is so funny in it um, it's like a gothic horror comedy type of sort, um, and it also filmed on the Universal Backlot, so that's kind of a fun little factoid. Um, but yeah, I think if we're gonna, you know, highlight maybe a comedic performance to usher into the best actor category, I would throw Don Knotts in there. I think what he does in this movie is just a masterclass on physical humor and facial expression. You know, that Don Knotts wide-eyed, open-mouth, shocked look. It's put to perfect effect in this movie. A little pipsqueak like you fighting us in court, just who do you think you are? Drop dead, that's who. Right, Mr. Beck? Mr. Mr. Beck? Mr. Beck? Um... I love it. And it used to scare the crap out of me when I was a kid. It's a little scary, uh, but ultimately very funny. You know, there's a few movies that came out this year that I really, really like. And I don't know if they belong uh, above the winners, okay? But, I mean, just to mention a couple that I enjoy that I would have liked seeing getting some love. How's that? Yeah, yeah I love um, it. Uh, there's a movie called Harper that I really like that comes out this year. Which is a um, like a hard-boiled detective movie with Paul Newman and a really great cast like Janet Lee and um, uh, uh, Lauren Bacall. Uh, really great cast of characters in that movie. Um, also, there's a really cute Disney, not Disney film, but it's uh, Disney-like, um, I should say. Um, I, don't, I don't remember what studio. Let me look at that, actually. Um Oh, it's just Columbia. All right. But I the re, when I say what it is, you may know why I think it's Disney. Um, it's called The Trouble with Angels. Mm. And it is, um, it's Haley Mills. And like. Uh, <laughs> Your favorite. A late, uh, my favorite. And she, um, this is the second year in a row I've mentioned the Haley Mills movie. But um, it's, it has Rosalind Russell um, playing like um, the a nun okay and she and Haley mills and her best friend go through boarding school together and and Haley mills is like a um uh she's the one who's always getting into trouble and her friend is the one who's uh who wants to be a nun you know when she grows up and anyway it's just like their misadventures but greer garson's in it is like the mother superior and um and it's directed by ida lupino 
um which i love highlighting you know yeah. female directors and she was basically the only female director working in hollywood at this point in time and it is her last um it is her last directorial effort um cary grant makes his last movie this year it's not worthy of nomination but just mentioning his career as an actor he retires after making walk don't run and he uh hangs up his hat says he doesn't want to go any farther you know um he um he says i want to do it while i'm still out of my game interestingly walk don't runs a remake of a movie that won an oscar called the more the merrier um and he plays oh sure and he plays the role that Charles Coburn played in that movie. Um, and uh, so he ends his career not as a leading man, uh, at per se, although he is the lead of that film. Um, one of my favorite Elvis movies comes out this year. It's called Spin Out. <laughs> um, Stop it right now. She'll crowd your clothes, spin your wheels, then you're gonna know how it feels to spin out. I'm not saying that it deserves an Oscar nomination. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm not, that not Spin saying Out <laughs> is a solid Elvis movie. I'm, I'm sure it is. And uh, and Grand Prix is really good as well. There you go. And Grand Prix is like actually good. <laughs> Fair. Okay. I'll, I'll trust you on that. <laughs> um, not like Rance Collins like Spin Out good, but... <laughs> um but uh yeah um so just a, an interesting an interesting year there's also a movie this year i should mention that comes out i need to see this because i've only seen clips of it and it looks so campy i have to i have to find it um it's called the oscar oh i read it i was reading about that yeah yeah yeah, yeah it came out this year and it stars stephen boyd who uh we crushed on a few years ago yes yes, uh, yes. with ben her um and uh, uh there's several people who like have cameos as their as their self including bob hope and hedda hopper and merle Oberon, frank sinatra nancy sinatra um and then like everybody is in it it's like let's see there's joseph cotton uh ernest borgnine walter brennan uh broderick crawford um peter lawford i mean milton burrell tony bennett <laughs> oh wow yeah that is quite the it's cast. like this um this is a crazy cast but i understand it's not great but it's fun so i need to see this at some point so there is a movie a tribute to oscar comes out in 1966 i love that that's fun all right let's get into right. the main event shall we we're gonna break down Two movies, I think, is what this Best Picture category ultimately comes down to. The first is the winner, A Man for All Seasons. I'll give a brief summary here. For people who haven't seen it, it is about the uh, years leading up to the death of Sir Thomas More, played by Paul Scofield. He was the Lord Chancellor of England for Henry VIII. And the whole deal is that he refuses to give his consent for the annulment of the king's marriage to uh, his then-wife, Catherine of Aragon, and because he wanted to marry Anne Boleyn. And also he later refused to acknowledge uh, Henry VIII as the head of the newly formed Church of England. And in doing so, he is accused of treason and therefore beheaded. That's what goes on. 
and this I mean, is also like, should all be... that's all of that's history so i mean exactly which i think is fun but... yeah yeah i know uh but uh yes this is a pretty good movie adaptation from a stage work it didn't feel you know kind of boxy and stagnant to me i think no it they opened it up really well definitely and yeah. i think a lot of that's in um a lot of that is contributed to just the beautiful sets and the costumes uh i think it does really well as a period piece and it does i think it is set apart from just a stage work yes uh for sure uh real briefly i just want to mentioned just because we didn't say the titles the other two we mentioned alfie earlier the other two nominees are the russians are coming the russians are coming and the sand pebbles okay yes 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 yes. now i feel like we've name checked that um but we are there are two heavy hitters here that we're gonna concentrate on um fred zinneman is uh is a really great director who we've uh talked about on multiple occasions um especially for his work uh, from here to eternity. Um, but uh, he definitely takes something like when I, when I saw that it was a play, I was actually kind of surprised because uh, this doesn't feel stage bound at all. Right. You know? Yes. Um, it, it feels from the very beginning, like you're watching something that has been opened up. And I'm also always impressed whenever I'm able to be sucked into a movie that takes place in a medieval period. Cause I, this is kind of um, not something I typically enjoy. Um, um, and so the fact that uh, he was able to draw me into this is, is impressive. Um, this along with another movie that we're going to talk to talk about in a couple of years uh, called the lion in winter. I think are probably the best examples of this kind of 1960s frenzy um, obsession, it seems, with um, medieval uh, England stories, you know? Yeah, that's very Um, true, yeah. uh, Because there does seem to be kind of a trend in um, this period, which, I mean, uh, Tom Jones takes place a few centuries after A Man for All Seasons, but this costume drama, British costume drama seems to really get a big revival during this period. We also get lots of um, Shakespeare adaptations during this period as well. Um, Yeah. You know, the most, uh, probably the most popular, the box office version, um, straight adaptation, not including West Side Story of Romeo and Juliet, gets made later this decade, you know. Um, So this is, uh, this is a trend in the 60s for sure. Um, And uh, I I wonder why that is. I wonder why, um, what it was about, was it like uh, the kind of um, changing sexual mores that had something to do with it? Was it um, uh, the, this one might have spoken to a certain type of, I don't know, standing up against the establishment or something like I, I'm sure to think I'm trying to think of what it is that made these movies popular at this time, because there does seem to be a trend. Yeah. I wonder if that has to do with also the fact that they're still competing with TV and you see a lot of, you know, kind of medieval Victorian films back in the silent film era as well. Mm -hmm. And now since we're into 
color film and you know bigger budgeted films i wonder if people started to kind of reintroduce that trend because they could do it on a much grander scale and it probably attracted film audiences you know like oh you you might have seen the black and white silent version of romeo and juliet but now come and see the fully color version cinemascope you know that kind of trends yeah well i mean and they're also i mean certainly there's um there's a certain um uh prestige yeah, to definitely. making making these types of films uh for sure um you know like oh it's romeo and juliet you know or right um or whatever the case may be but uh, a man for all seasons i mean man for all seasons is just uh uh it's it's just a classic uh focusing on somebody who we may not know as much about in history or may have not spent spent as much time talking about as we do henry the eighth but i think you're right this really is a story about a man of status who refuses to waver on his beliefs his morals even to the highest ranking human being on the planet that being the king and he's willing to die for it and die like happily for it you know um and my i say uh paul here i'm kind of calling paul paul um he gives uh a great he holds the movie together he gives a great performance absolutely yeah it's very steady controlled um yeah he he is quite wonderful what did you think of robert shaw i'm curious who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for playing Henry VIII. Uh, what did you think of his, pretty much his only scene in the movie, really? Um, yeah, he only has a couple scenes. Um, you know, he, we, we see him uh, when he comes to visit uh, Sir Thomas More, and then we see a scene of his wedding a little mm-hmm. bit later. And I don't, do we see him outside of that? Is there any other? No, that's um, it. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. He does a good job with, excuse me, with what little he has, but he's very, um, he like, he's having a good time. He plays it to, <laughs> he plays it to the hilt. Like he, he does not pull back at all. And what I find interesting about his nomination is I feel that there are other people in the movie who I would have nominated before him. Yes. Um, including once again, uh, lovely Susanna York. Who, um, yeah, who I would have put in the best supporting actress category, personally. Over Wendy Hiller, or would you keep Wendy Hiller as well? Uh, Wendy Hiller is great. I, I would put them both. I think you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, Wendy Hiller. Uh, oh, yeah, she's really, really. She has a, a couple really good scenes towards the end. I love the scene with the two of them in the jail cell. Yes, very sweet. Uh, toward, at the end of the movie, whenever she yells at the sky at God yeah. at one point. Um, so like, I, I, but you know, um, I, I mean, I thought that the, uh, the Redgrave, um, uh, Michael what, Redgrave, no, 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 Michael Redgrave's the dad. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. um, the, there's, um, hold on, hold on. I got to remember his first name. I'm so sorry. Um, the brother who I did not know existed oh, until this either. movie, Corinne. Redgrave, Corin Redgrave or Corin, C O R I N. Who is he? He plays 
William Roper, the um, uh, the one uh, with Susanna York. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, the the one that she marries. Yes, I would. I'd put him over Robert Shaw personally. Like yeah. I think he has more to do. Yeah, I don't know. Robert Shaw kind of bothered me. I thought, as you said, I agree, very over the top. To me, it seemed like he like did very little research on Henry VIII and like saw a footnote that described him as you know this larger than life person. So he just decided to yell at random times for no reason at all. I don't know. It just seems very unmotivated and very. Uh, I don't know. Just just not well presented. I didn't care for it. Because of that, I say. Do they take me for a simpleton? I I did like the cutaways to people um, eavesdropping because he's talking so loud. Yes, you know I did like that. Um, so yeah, but um, but as far as the best actor win, totally uh, get it. So. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Um, but again, I th- feel like his only comp- uh, competition that. Paul Scottfield had was Richard Burton for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yes, um, and we'll just get right into it. Um, Let's do it. Let's dive in. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Virginia Woolf? Virginia Woolf? Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is considered uh, to be one of the great movies of all time. Um, Not that A Man for All Seasons hasn't gotten lots of attention. Uh, It it sure has. it is listed as one of the greatest British films and so on and so forth. But Who's Fran Virginia Woolf is kind of um, a turning point um, talking about the production code. This may be the turning, po- turning point in, um, in cinema. For, Certainly for uh, American cinema. For American yes. cinema, yeah. Um, because uh, this is a movie that speaks very frankly about sex. It speaks very... Uh, uh, uncensored with uh language and um it does not even pretend to show life as something uh pretty <laughs> definitely yes i actually made a comment i wrote down that it's a very dark comedic twist on what kitchen sink dramas have been you know nothing is as yeah. it seems to be and you can't trust any of the leading characters they're very unreliable yeah, this is a very, uh, like, what a collection of characters. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, if you guys, you should watch, it's really hard to explain Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf without seeing it. There is there is a big twist in the movie. Oh, it is um, one of the greatest twists in all of cinema. I, I get goosebumps thinking about it because that cinematic moment is so perfect. I, oh, it's it, it's so it's good. It's so good. But, um, you know, basically this is about two couples, uh, a college professor and his wife, and then a young couple who end up uh, spending um, the day slash evening together. And the developments that happen as they talk and talk and drink and drink and mm-hmm. um there is there is one scene that happens outside of this house because it is adapted from a play and the scene that happens outside the house is at the um uh at the the bar they go to yeah like a dance um, hall 
a dance hall thing, which nobody else is there. Again, it's just the four of them. Uh, and there is some speculation that maybe that isn't real. That's a whole other... Some people have some conspiracy theories about Ooh. about uh, the things that you're watching in this movie. Um, sure. But, I think I'm, I'm actually unfamiliar with that conspiracy theory. Um, yeah, well, look it up. It's it's fun. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Um, it, I'm trying to think of how to crystallize what I'm thinking. Um, it changes. It changes Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that it stars Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor is very significant. Oh yeah, and very purposeful. <laughs> yes, because they are Hollywood royalty. Yes. Um, at this point, uh, Richard Burton was more like stage royalty, but Elizabeth Taylor marrying him kind of changed that. And um, of course, he had made movies, but I think Elizabeth Taylor really rocketed him as far as film goes, um, and uh, to more of the mainstream, I should say, and. Uh, them making this makes this i i think it gives it an air of legitimacy uh that helps helps it be accepted in a way right now tell me is this because they were married twice right yes they were is this This their first or second marriage the second marriage doesn't last very long this is their first marriage okay their marriage uh they're married for I believe I can look at the dates here. Uh, yeah, she married him in 1964. They divorced in 1974. Then they married again in 1975 and divorced in 1976. So. Okay, so this is during their first marriage. But correct me if I'm wrong, even their first marriage was still very tumultuous and riddled with um, controversy, affairs, all that kind of stuff, right? Yes, and they made a lot of movies together during... Yeah their first marriage uh they they made a lot of movies and most of them were not very good um <laughs> this would definitely be the crown jewel of their collaborations oh, for sure 100 and they yeah, took, but it, they they took more risk in the material they chose after this um but it never paid off this way sure yeah but it makes sense because you know their marriage on screen being george and martha doesn't you know directly reflect what was going on with them in their Hollywood marriage, but you do see a lot of. Um, I would say it's probably like an exaggeration of what people probably thought their marriage was. You know, a very um, filled with jealousy, rage, um, nagging on each other. You know, kind of capitalized off of what people were arguably reading in the papers on their marriage mm-hmm. and then they got to see it played out on screen yes i think you're i think you're right on that one she um they're they were a an infamous couple of course let's keep in mind how they even got together um you know <laughs> we <laughs> we touched on this in the 50s about the controversy with um, Elizabeth Taylor stealing away Eddie Fisher from Debbie Reynolds. Um, But then she did the movie Cleopatra, which Richard Burton was cast in as um, Mark Antony. And um, then uh, they had an affair 
and she divorced Eddie Fisher to marry Richard Burton, you know. And let's also keep in mind that Richard Burton divorced his wife (laughs) to marry Elizabeth Taylor. So this was, um, this was a very, uh, uh, scandalous situation. And they became quickly known for their, um, you know, volatile, um, passionate relationship. Exactly. And uh, on screen, we get to watch them just totally nag and just rip into each other. And um, yeah, just hurt each other over (laughs) and over and over again. It is so wonderful. And this is far and away the greatest Elizabeth Taylor performance. You know, she won an Oscar in 60 for Butterfield 8, which is dreadful. This Oscar is a hundred percent deserved. They're, you know, this they're maybe one of the greatest female performances of all time. I think you're no, she won for suddenly last summer. That's that's what <laughs> well, you meant to say. Um, <laughs> that's what I like to think in my yeah. head. So we're just gonna go with that. Um, but no, you know, she this is her greatest performance by far of yes, the ones I've it, seen. Totally. And it's and hard she... to talk about her performance without giving away like the plot because I don't want to give away the plot and the twist that happens. I do want people to watch this movie and see it for themselves in real time because I think that is the best way to go into this film. But just know that Elizabeth Taylor handles the ending of this movie to such perfection. And Mike mm-hmm. Nichols is genius. All he does is he just frames her face from you know bangs to chin and you he doesn't pull away you see the tragedy and you you're forced to just watch this unraveling and i think that is so genius yeah and um let's also just say real briefly here that elizabeth taylor uh she gained weight for this part um she uh gained i think like 20 or 30 pounds so that she could uh, look a little bit more matronly. Um, and uh, she put gray in her hair, you know, mm-hmm. yep. or wore a gray wig or whatever. Um, she just totally abandoned all um, conventional uh, uh, vanity, you know. And yeah. this is like a for it. This is like a, a Charlize Theron and monster, but in the 1960s performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she she's playing a middle aged woman here, which is also important because she was um, only 34 at the time, you know, right. so she so she like really just abandons all sense of, um, of vanity to do this part, you know. Um, and this, like, the per- people who they wanted for this part initially, these roles, uh, were so different than who they, they wanted Betty Davis and James Mason. Oh, wow. You know? Uh, that's who Edward Albee wanted. Um. Wow, I can see that. Yeah, and interestingly, they, uh, Elizabeth Taylor quotes Betty Davis in the movie. Yes, like, she does. Um, yes, she does. <laughs> um, she quotes a movie called Beyond the Forest, which is not a significant film in any way, but there is a line Betty says in it that has become rather iconic, and that's, what a dump. 
Um, we should also mention as well that this is the directing debut of Mike Nichols, a director we're going to talk about in length uh, in our next episode and also just throughout the rest of the history of the Academy Awards. What a debut. He What he does with this is amazing because it is another stage adaptation, and this one is obviously a lot stagier than A Man for All Seasons, but it's okay. I don't think it loses any effect because of that. I think a lot of that has to do with just the dialogue and the subject matter is so engrossing that you forget that you haven't moved outside of one room for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, no, and um, and let's keep in mind uh, that he uh, had, this isn't like, this is his debut on screen, but what's really remarkable is that he was already a pretty accomplished stage director at this point. Oh, yeah, he very. won two twenties, two twenties, two tw- two <laughs> Tonys, one for uh, Barefoot in the Park, and the other for um, uh, it was for two plays, Love and the Odd Couple, um, and uh, so he Barefoot in the Park and the Odd Couple would also become movies in the late sixties, um, but he didn't direct those movies. Um, but he had already um, accomplished a lot on stage, um, right? And um, and so it was, um, and and before that, what's I mean, like his career is so interesting. Before that, he had been a, a comedian, and right. he won. Uh, he was famous for being paired with Elaine May, Nichols and May, is who they, who they were called. And he did a comedy album that won a Grammy with Elaine May. So he won a Grammy. Then he got into re- to directing, got the Tonys for directing, which he'd get several mo- more Tonys throughout his career. Um, in fact, he would end up getting, um, let's, he won, his last dir- directing Tony was for Death of a Salesman in 2012. Um, and then he right. won for directing Spamalot. <laughs> and a play called the real thing and the musical annie and the plays prisoner of second avenue and plaza suite so like this man <laughs> won so many tonys oh, yeah. and then you know we're gonna get to his oscar win next year yes. and then finally he won a several um primetime emmys first for uh a tv movie called wit and then for the incredible uh miniseries angels in america um and uh just mentioning all of this to say my nichols is an egot winner and this is his film debut and it's so so good oh and one other thing i found out the other day michael mike nichols discovered whoopi goldberg yes that's right yep yeah doing stand-up you bet yeah he and then he put her stand-up on broadway and and made her career happen and there's a really great clip um of will be goldberg reacting to mike nichols death on the view by the way Um, uh if you if you're in she just breaks down crying it's it's just beautiful but anyway um he's amazing and also he would later marry the preeminent woman in television journalism uh miss uh diane sawyer yes yeah it is such a great um, I like directing. my nickels, by the way. I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I think that you and I can both agree that Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf 
is arguably the better movie of the year and deserved best picture. I feel like the reason they gave it to A Man for All Seasons is just because it does take that moral high ground, you know, stick to your beliefs, even if, you know, you're um, even in fear of death, you know, this man holds his ground. And I guess it can be considered a, I don't know, a quote unquote better picture because of that. You know what I mean? Uh, and maybe people were just wanted to vote for that instead of Virginia Woolf, this very daring film, breaking the production code, um, just kind of like a, a nasty little movie. And I feel like, yeah, Man for All Seasons triumphed because of that. Yeah, I mean, it's more of an it's more of an Oscar friendly um, movie for sure. Um, uh, it, it there's such different films; they're so hard to compare, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, certainly, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf has the longer reaching um, effect on culture. It probably is a movie that more people will would enjoy watching today. Um. But uh, but I also just want to say, like, A Man for All Seasons is still a... It's not like... It's not like a total head-scratcher. It is a good movie. Yes. So, um, I I find this... I find this... I, you know, Tom Jones was weird. This this makes... <laughs> a Man for All Seasons uh, makes far more sense to me if we're talking about the British films that have won this year. But good lord, Sam, look at this. Movies that either take place in England or were produced in England, this during this decade you know like lawrence yeah. of arabia tom jones my fair lady filmed here takes place there um the sound of music isn't isn't british but everyone has british accents <laughs> <laughs> um for some reason uh and the leads are british um and then <laughs> a man for all seasons um and then oliver, oliver yeah I mean, like, this is a very British heavy decade, you know? I think we're about to get into a very interesting year from the 60s in our next episode when we cover 1967 and the mm -hmm. winner in the heat of the night. But this was a very uh, important year for the Oscars. So we're actually going to do a two-parter for 1967. Uh, next week, we will be highlighting the four nominated films for Best Picture. And then the week after, we will just do a highlight on In the Heat of the Night, just because every movie that was nominated for Best Picture has something different to say about the 60s, the Oscars, Hollywood. It's a huge turning point. Yeah, I I consider um, there was actually a book written about 1967 a, a few years ago, um, the 1967 Best Picture nominees uh, a few years ago. Um, and I'll make sure I have the title of that book for the, for our next episode. But, um, you can really truly say there could not be five more different movies and four of them are so, um, progressive in their own ways. And then one of them is just, what? <laughs> that's your preview that's your preview <laughs> definitely absolutely so we'll be getting into all that next week and we'll be with you guys then i am george i am 